I do want to uh, acknowledge a couple of uh, above and beyond volunteers. Uh, first of all, um, last weekend, uh, Jess Crandall roughed it with a bunch of youth over three days on the, uh, on the, the city mission trip. Yeah, she doesn't get paid for this except in Coca-Cola. Um, and, and so she is just has stepped up so much and has done such a great job, and, uh, and that's amazing. And then also, uh, Lodrick, who um, got our, our trailer last night and, and was surprised to find out that there was construction going on in front of the storage unit and, and you couldn't get in. And so, yeah, we were like, okay, maybe we need to figure this out without a trailer, and then Lodrick is all, I got it. And what happened is he took his truck through a construction site at high speed, bobbing and weaving through cranes and over potholes under sniper fire, got our trailer, brought it to us today so that we could have service. And that, that, that's the sort of opportunity for heroism that volunteer teams gives you. Um, I do need to preach a sermon at some point. Hang on. Um, so if you, if you guys have a Bible with you, um, open it up to Acts chapter 8, we're in verses 26 through 39. If you don't have a Bible, we do have the text on the screen, and, uh, and of course, the internet has Bibles, and you all have that. Um, so Acts 8, 26 through 39, we're continuing our sermon series in Acts. Let's pray before we begin. All right, Lord Jesus, I pray that through your word we can hear a message to your people that, that as has happened throughout history, that as we engage this story of the, of the early church, that we would be shaped in how we're to be the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, my, my first job was working for my dad in a video store for a dollar an hour, but, but before I, I, had, I had an attempt before that at a job when I was 16 years old, and a friend of mine in high school had said, hey, show up at this like office park, and you can make $8 an hour, which at the time, that was like double minimum wage, and so I was like, oh, cha-ching, I'm there, I don't even care what it is, I had no idea what this job was, and so I, I showed up, and me and a bunch of other hopefuls, and they took us into a room to orient us, and they said, okay, well, welcome to Riviera Resorts. What you're going to be doing is you're going to take this, this Rolodex of phone numbers, and you're gonna call people, and you are going to read them this script. They gave us a laminated script. This script is designed by salespeople to like psychologically work people over so that they are going to buy a timeshare. And all you have to do is get them to agree to attend a tour of one of the timeshares, and if they attend, they get a free TV. So open with, would you like a free TV? <laughs> and I was like, okay. This sounds like easy money. And they said, but you may have heard that you get $8 an hour for doing this. But here's the thing. Until you close your first deal, you don't get $8 an hour. You're working for free. I was like, all right, let's go. How, how bad could this be? And, um, you know, I, I dial the first number and, and somebody answers. And I say, uh, hello, sir, ma'am. This is Johan from Riviera Resorts. And then they hung up, right? <laughs> and so then I started it with, 
don't hang up. Sir, ma'am, this is Johan with, I didn't use my real name because, you know, that seems weird. It's also weird to call somebody in the middle of dinner, which is what I was doing, and yeah. So how would you like a free TV? And, you know, just hang up after hang up. And I, I plugged away at that at a couple of hours, and then there was one when I, have I ever told you about this? You don't even know this story. You guys have never heard this. Okay, uh, it's always fun when, when your wife and kids hear a new story. Um, so somebody picked up, and it was like a voice that was emerging out of the earth. It was that, that sort of deep. Uh, it, was like, it, it was like what I imagined the, the ghost of Hamlet's father would sound like, you know. He answers, hello. I can't even get down there. I said, uh, hello, sir. This is Johan from Riviera Resorts. Would you like a free TV? He didn't say anything, so I was like, all you have to do is attend a 30-minute tour of our lovely <laughs> seaside condos. And then he pauses, and he says, why don't you take your blank blank and put it in a blank blank <laughs> and blank blank until it's broken? <laughs> And then he hung up. And at that point, I said, I'm out of here. This is impossible. I did it for three hours, and then I quit. <laughs> now, the funny thing is, is when I started to be trained in how you're supposed to, like, share the gospel, it was a lot like that. It was almost just like doing cold call sales. There's a script. You roll up on people you've never met and don't know you, and it's all about closing the deal in the moment, right? And the, 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 I have no problem with any mode of sharing the gospel, right? Like all these things are appropriate in their own time, in their own way, whether it's open air, door-to-door, -door, relational, whatever. It, it's all good. But the, the thing that's really troubling is the heart behind it. It depends on sales technique. It depends on us, our ability to say the right combination of words, to take somebody through the right script, and us close the deal there. You see the difference? When, when we have the understanding that people coming to know Jesus, that my witness being effective depends on me, it feels like an impossible amount of pressure. And for most people, when that's your understanding, I just need to go out there and make it happen, Captain. You know, somehow, some way, hook or crook, talk people into following Jesus. You do what I did at, at Riviera Resorts and you quit. You just don't do it. Because it's all on my back and it's all about technique and it's all about manipulation. Now, the book of Acts is full of evangelism. And it is anything but self-reliant evangelism. Let's look at what evangelism is supposed to look like in the early church. Look with me at 8.26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, remember we, we were following Philip last week, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now that's not the Spirit saying that to Philip. This is Luke explaining it to Theophilus, who's not a local. He's like, hey, he's telling him to go to a desert region. Now, if you were being strategic about where to go to share the gospel, where would you want to go? A city, right? A place someone lived. 
Would you want to go to a desert region? No, no one lives in a desert region. It's a desert region. Not only that, the word um, that go to the south, it can also mean go at midday. So it's, it's possible that he was not only in the wrong place, but at the wrong time. You know what you did during midday in this region? You went indoors. You sought shelter. You weren't on the road. So I like to imagine Philip here. He's like, okay, he was in Samaria sharing the gospel. That's pretty gutsy. Now he goes to a desert region, and he's standing there. Okay, Lord, here I am. I'm on the road coming out of Jerusalem to Gaza. There's no one here. It's hot. Uh, whoever's coming, whatever's going to happen, I hope it happens soon, because I might pass out. He, this isn't in the scripture. This is me imagining, by the way, guys. And then look what happens. That's a really unlikely thing. Verse 27. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So get in Philip's shoes with me right now. All right, you're out there in the desert. There's no cities, no nobody, because it's probably midday. But anyway, you're in a place that nobody lives. And, you know, you look down the road, and that's the road to Jerusalem, and there's that heat coming up off the desert floor, right? And you see a dot. And you're like, what's going on? Gets a little closer. Now, this guy was a court official who was probably traveling with money and other wealth to survive while he was in Jerusalem. So chances are he had some muscle with him, right? That would be customary. And this is my speculation, but it's pretty good. Uh, so he, the first thing you would notice is there's people walking with the chariot, and they're African. Now, you have to understand how far away the place that this guy is from is. That this would have been a really outlandish scene for Philip. He's from, you know, Jerusalem. And as he gets closer, it is a chariot, and it would have been a covered chariot. So really high-end chariot. This is a Tesla limo or something like that, right? So you're like, oh. And, and what, we, what we know about this guy who is in the chariot he, it says he was an Ethiopian, so don't think modern-day Ethiopia right now. Ancient Ethiopia, the Greek word Ethiops, uh, refers to the region that is Sudan, Ethiopia, and parts of Eritrea. And we actually can pinpoint exactly where he's from because of the name of the queen that he served, a, a, a queen named Candace, which was a hereditary royal name of the ancient African kingdom of Moreau. Um, Moreau, there's, if you've ever heard of the, the pyramids built that are, that are still in Sudan, that's, that's Moreau, that's what that is. And, um, and so he was a eunuch, which was a customary thing in many ancient kingdoms, because if you're going to be a court official and you're going to be close to the harem, you know, you use eunuchs. Um, but he was, he was, he's like the secretary of the treasury. He's that level uh, personage. And he's what's called a God-fearer. He was not born Jewish. He's also not a convert, what they called a proselyte. He's a God-fearer. He can't convert, in fact. And we'll get to that. So he believes in the God of Abraham. He believes in the scriptures. You know how serious this guy is about being a God-fearer? I brought a little map for you, okay? 
There's a map on there somewhere that shows you the distance. Here we go. Here's Jerusalem. Here's Moreau down there. Do you know how far that is? That is 1,800 miles. Okay? Now, he would have took sh taken ship at the Nile, but a chariot goes at a walking pace over, over these roads. He did 1,800 miles each way at a walk. This would have been a two-month journey in each direction. He did this, why? So he could worship God. Anybody willing to go on a two-month journey just to go to a church service? He was. Okay, that's how serious he is. So he can't convert, but he's a God-fearer. He's someone who is seeking after God. Now, God is going to give Philip another somewhat odd instruction. Verse 29. And, uh, and the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join his chariot. Now, in the ancient world, uh, when someone of this rank came through and you were a commoner, you hit knees, you averted your eyes, right? Like the people getting carried through those ancient streets. He's one of those. And so for Philip to just roll up on a chariot uh, would have been a violation of, of sort of like common decency. So, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked do you understand what you were reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generations? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now that is from Isaiah chapter 53, which we've gone over many times here at Grace and Peace. It's, it's one of the servant songs and has always been one of the main texts that, that prophesied the Messiah. It talks about how the, the, there is a king coming who's going to suffer for the sins of the people. If you were going to share Jesus Christ with somebody... Could you ask for a better text for them to be reading and wondering over at the time? I don't think so. And the eunuch said to Philip, Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Okay, so this guy is as ready to hear the gospel as can possibly be, right? He's right up to it. He's saying, who is this Messiah? Who is this one who's going to suffer for the people? And then look what happens, verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth. That's a, a, a traditional, uh, I was about to say syntagm. You don't know what that is. Syntagm is a relationship of words. When you put them together, it means something extra, right? So he opened his mouth. That's a phrase that means he's being a rabbi. He's doing rabbi stuff right now. He opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So starting from Isaiah 53, he explained the whole gospel and how to respond. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, this isn't a rhetorical question. This is a genuine question for this eunuch. Here's why. We already established he longs to know God. He longs to join the people of God. 
but he wasn't born Jewish. And he can't convert, right? Baptism would be one of the final steps of becoming a Jewish convert because he was a eunuch. Eunuchs were not eligible to convert to Judaism. So when this guy is saying, is there anything preventing me from being baptized? Is there anything preventing me from becoming a full member? Is my ethnicity, is the fact that I'm a eunuch, is anything preventing me? How does Philip respond? Because remember, this guy, for however, for however long, has been searching, seeking, and longing, and Philip gets to answer him. He commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So Philip's response is, let's do this like Brutus. There's nothing stopping you, right? And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Now, this, the spirit carried him away. It happens a couple times in the Bible and they just don't care to elaborate. They're like, deal with it. Spirit bore him away. There's a God who has all power. Yes, he bore him away. You think that's weird, we don't care. Um, your mind is very small. <laughs> we, we lose track of the eunuch. We don't hear about him but you know what we, we do know? Is that there, there, there's uh, the, the earliest kingdom on earth to adopt the Christian faith as official was what? Ethiopia. Tied with Armenia. Okay? So we don't know for sure that it was this dude. But my guess is he got up to something because it, by the time you're adopting the faith officially, you've shared the gospel with a lot of people. You know what I mean? And he was in position to do so. When we're asking, what's the message of a text? Those of you who have done the how to read the Bible for all it's worth, when we're looking at a narrative, one of the questions we ask is, who are the characters? And what do they do? Right? You may count two characters in here, but there's actually three. There's Philip, who speaks the word. There's the eunuch, who hears the word. And then there's the Holy Spirit. And you know what the Holy Spirit is? The Holy Spirit is the actual evangelist. You know where we see that? Who directs Philip to go to the wrong place? The Holy Spirit does, right? This is all at the direction of God. It's like, yeah, this is non-strategic, go here. Desert road, no one's there, wrong time, wrong place. And then he directs him to go up to the chariot. Yeah, violate some of the conventions of your society. Roll up on that chariot. Go. Who prepared this eunuch over time to be able to hear the gospel? Like, is it just happenstance? Is it just an accident that someone who's from that far away from Jerusalem has come to believe in the one true God and is sitting there at the time reading a prophecy of the Messiah? Or is that clear, uh, is, that, is that hinting real hard at us that the Holy Spirit is the one who's actually working both sides of this, empowering the hearer and er, empowering the speaker and preparing the hearer. When we look at the book of Acts, the gospel going forth is up to God. God is the evangelist. When we ask, how are people going to know we are tools, but God is the true evangelist. Someone responding to the gospel 
That's not our responsibility, nor are we able to control that, right? The, the, the whole idea of the cold call, uh, of, of I'm just going to say the right words, I'm going to say all the right arguments, and I'm going to overcome all opposition, and they're going to have no choice but be logically argued into the kingdom of God. You know, you're walking around the kingdom of God. How did you get here? I lost an argument. <laughs> right? It's not going to work. When we're asking, what is our responsibility? How do we go about sharing the good news about Jesus? The, the, the central truth is that God is the true evangelist. God is the great evangelist. We just need to cooperate with the evangelist. Now, for some, the whole thing seems weird. Either you, you came from a, a church tradition uh, that did not emphasize going out and sharing the gospel. And you're like, yeah, that's weird. You're weird. I understand. Uh, I didn't grow up in the church, so it, all this talk when I first came in was very strange. It's like, you guys really do this? Yes, we really do it. <laughs> okay. Why share the gospel? Well, I mean, first and foremost, as a Christ follower, Jesus gives a commission to the church to go and be witnesses. At, at the, in Acts 1.8, he, he commissions them, go and be my witnesses. In Matthew 28, he gives the great commission. Now go into all, right, you know, make disciples of all nations. So it's the command of Jesus, but here's the thing. All of us, Christian or not, are evangelists. When something impacts your life deeply, you, it, it, there, there's something overflows in your heart, and you want to tell people about it, whether it's veganism or, or, you know, like, you've heard the one, how do you know if someone does CrossFit? They tell you, right? When, when, something, when something hits your heart, when something transforms you, when something when there's something you know you needed and you didn't even know you needed it, you know there's other people like you. There's other people just like you that, that, need, that you know need to hear it. I know for me, the, the reason I wanted to start a church plant is because when I was a 15-year-old moron, uh, God entered my life and transformed me radically. I was on a very, very dark path before that, and I, I shuddered to think who I would be and where I would be if Jesus did not come into my life. So we're all evangelists, and if we're a follower of Christ, like part of following Jesus is, is, be, is being a witness for him. The question is, how do, we how do we cooperate? How do we not go to the cold call method? And I'm not saying, again, hear me say, people who get up and preach in open air or go door to door, those have their time and places. They, 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 it's, it's, more, it's more the attitude of the heart and the underlying belief. It's, does this depend on me so I can close the deal and get some brownie points? Or am I functioning in cooperation with the great evangelist? So how do we cooperate? First of all, ask God for opportunities. You know, it, it, it may seem very, very intimidating to you. You don't, have a, you don't have, like, the type of disposition to strike up a conversation with, with someone on the street. Start praying. I, I, I would do this a lot, where I would walk around the neighborhood and say, God, you got someone for me to encounter today? I would, I would love to be able to share the gospel. And, you know, I don't want to be like, 
It works 100% of the time, 30% of the time, or anything like that. But very often, God will give you an opportunity when you simply ask. Also, just like we see with Philip, when you hear the voice of God, listen. Right? I was out running once, and I, I had a very brief window, and so I could only run you know, a couple miles or something like that, and I had to get to the next thing. So I'm running, and I, I run past a house in my neighborhood, and there's a, a woman just sitting on her porch, and then something off. I kept running. The Holy Spirit might as well have said out loud, go back. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I just ran back. And I walked, I walked to the fence. I said, hey, good morning. Uh, my name's Matt. Uh, I live around the block. And she said hello and da-da-da. And I could, I could sense that something was going on within her. So I just, on a, on a chance, said, I'm a pastor. And at that moment, she broke down, fell to the ground, and started weeping. And I was like, can I come to the park? <laughs> She's like, please. And, and so I ended up, we, Gail and I actually walked with her for a long time. She really needed to hear the word of God that day. There will be times, there will be moments, wherever you are, where you feel the Holy Spirit saying, you know what, there's an opportunity here. Open a can of courage and try. When you hear that, obey, cooperate with God, the great evangelist. Also, we see, we see in the text that Philip sits in and listens first to the eunuch, right? And so part of cooperating with God, the evangelist, is seeing how God has prepared the person. Just, just listen. The, the Francis Schaeffer, who, who loved sharing the gospel, he was a Christian theologian and would, would share the gospel with lots of people, he used to say, if I have an hour to share the gospel, I'm going to listen for 55 minutes before I say anything, right? To see where has the Holy Spirit, who is this person, what's happened in their life, right? Where are they, going, where are they able to hear the message of the gospel? Also, cooperating with God the evangelist, it, it's to love people. This is worth mentioning. Because when we have the, the mentality of the cold call, the person is just a project, right? Instead of taking the time to get to know someone, instead of living with and, love and, 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 and living in front of someone for a while to demonstrate, like, to live out the gospel in front of them over time, we're, we're simply trying to close the deal then and there. Th that is not a loving approach. And so to cooperate... Uh, with God the evangelist is to love people as Jesus did, to walk with them, not just try and share the message. And I, I, hope, I hope that this encourages us. Again, if you've participated in going up to people and, and sharing the gospel, that's awesome. That's a good thing. I'm not downing that. I'm saying when we understand the spread of the gospel to be all on us, our ability, our our persuasive tactics and stuff like that. It is not cooperating with God the evangelist. I hope that we're encouraged that it takes the pressure off. It's not up to you. You have no control over that. I don't have any control over that. God is the evangelist. God is the one who is calling. God is the one who is calling us to share, and he's also calling people 
to himself. God is the great evangelist. We need to cooperate. As I said, you know, the, the real reason that I was interested in church planting in the first place was to get to share the gospel because it made such an impact in my life. And you make a lot of plans in church planting. You know, like you're getting mentored, make a plan, this plan, what's your plan for this, what's your plan for that? You end up with all these plans, look at my plans. <laughs> and then sometimes things happen that you're just not counting on. And it, it, it's no explanation, no credit to you, it's just what God does. It was one time, like in the first six months of the church, maybe the first three months of the church, a woman walked in, sat down, turned out she was from Micronesia. She was from Micronesia. Y'all know where Micronesia is? Me neither. I looked it up. And she would attend every week. And she, she went to the women's group that we were doing, Gospel-Centered Life. And then she was gone after a few months. And we didn't see her for a long time. And then she walked back in. And we're like, hey, how are you? And she said, oh, I'm good. She says, you know, I never, I never told you guys, but uh, um, when I was going through that Gospel-Centered Life book, I realized I had never heard the gospel. But now I believe it. And now I, I shared the gospel with my uncle, and he believes it. And we started a Micronesian house church out in Aurora <laughs> so that we could share the gospel with other people from Micronesia. And we were like, oh, that was in my planting plan, but it was in year three, <laughs> right? No, it wasn't. It wasn't anywhere. All we were doing is trying to be faithful to cooperate with what God was doing. And God is the evangelist. It is not up to you and up to me. It is, we don't have reason to just throw in the towel and say, well, if, if it's all on me, if it's nothing but pressure for me to make this happen, I quit. Instead, be encouraged. God is the evangelist. We merely cooperate. Please pray with me. Lord, I pray.